Now, welcome in this class. I'm not David Camp. <laughs> and I'm not discussing the book of Daniel. I think last, last week he finished with the book of Daniel. And he asked me actually to come and uh, share with you what the Lord has laid on my heart. So I'm just standing the cup. Where he told me that he was going to he is going to be out of the the town, and I I think he's out of the town right now. And uh, it's a privilege that I stand before you, just to share what God has laid on my heart. I thank also God because in this far in this class, I have my wife Caroline, and I honored. Grandmom of my kids, sure, sure. Today is her birthday. I thank God because of that. So, today, we are just going to see from the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, starting from verse 14 through verse 21. And before maybe we can dive into Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, I may start by saying, last year, when we were preparing to come over here in America, the church which we were fellowshipping, that is Kamkuiwa Baptist Church, they say that because you are going out, then we need to have a celebration of which they came together and made a celebration because of our departure. And they said in that celebration, we need actually to pray for you. And they laid down some things which they were praying for. Like number one, they said, we want to pray for your safety, safe journey from Kenya to America. They also said, we want to pray that God may care for you and the family as you are going to be in the U.S. for the period of four years. They also said, or prayed, that as we come over here in America, we may also identify some friends whereby we can interact with them and build a relationship. They also said that after you have gone away from America, uh, from uh, Kenya, that God may establish this church which you are leaving behind. And finally, they said, they prayed in their prayer that after four years, may God grant you favor that you come back to us so that you can serve us. So those were some guidelines which these people were praying for us when we were departing from Kenya. Today, I'm convicted actually to share something from the book of Ephesians. This is Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. Paul is also compelled to pray for the Ephesians simply because he knows them in and out, and he knows their strength and he knows their weaknesses. As you go through this book, in the first place, you can see that it is a a prison letter. When Paul was imprisoned in Rome, 
60 to 62, probably that's the time he wrote this letter. Alongside with this letter, he wrote Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And uh, as he was writing, at this section, from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, he was just dealing with the doctrinal issues. He was just trying to, te- to, to help them understand what Christ has laid in their hearts. He was wrestling with doctrines. But now from chapter 3, the, the last three chapters, let me say, Paul is addressing how can they bring this which has been wrestling with in practical living. So he's addressing, in the last three chapters, Paul is wrestling with practical living. As the Ephesians, they needed actually to see how they can apply this truth in their daily living. Now you can see that in chapter 1, Paul had the first prayer. And then in the first prayer, he wanted the readers will know the greatness of God's power working in their lives. That is now he prayed for wisdom. And now when he comes to chapter 3, verse 14, the second prayer, in his second prayer, Paul is praying that they, they might be strengthened by his power in order to know and experience Christ's love, which surpasses knowledge. Now, today we, are, we want actually to see his prayer, how he was praying to the Ephesians. So, I, I will just read, and after which we will have to discuss. Now, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. The Bible reads, For this reason I pour my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of the glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend all the saints that is in the breadth and length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do for more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power of work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, in the introduction, I may say this. Paul's prayer was that the fullness of God could dwell richly in the lives of Ephesians. It is true that it's possible some people may know about the Bible doctrine. They, know, they may know about Bible interpretation. They may know about the moral standards, promises, warnings, and yet those people may not live as per what they know. Paul, in this book, 
He has already given the Ephesians the basic truth about Christian living and resources they have in Christ through previous chapter. That's why I said chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, he has already highlighted what they have in Christ. But now in chapter 3, verse 14 following, Paul urges them to live in a full power and effectiveness of every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is found in chapter 1, verse 3, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. The Bible reads, Blessed be the God and the Father of Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. As Christians, we should know our spiritual power in us and be motivated to use the power to show our effectiveness of how Jesus Christ liveth in us. The world is looking at us. And as the world is looking at us, it's looking at us to see what is the outcome of what we have professed or what we have uh, actually professed that we are Christians. So people want to see it. They want to see it as an outcome. Here Paul pleads to the Ephesian believers to respond to God's sovereignty or sovereign plan. He's, he's pleading with them. So in other words, he's saying, you Ephesians, I understand that all these things, spiritual blessing God has placed with you. But I plead with you because maybe you are forgetting. You are not leaving them out. Maybe you are forgetting. So I plead with you, Ephesians. And at the same time, he's not only pleading with the Ephesians. He's also pleading to God that God may motivate them so that they can live par what they have confessed in their lives. So here, in chapter 3, Paul is giving us the outline of his prayer. He has five elements. Number one, or number A, is from verse 14 through verse 16, whereby Paul is praying about Spirit's power in their lives. Number B, he's also praying about Christ endowing them. That is verse 17a. And then number C, Paul is praying about love abundance in their lives. That is 17p through verse 19a. And number D, Paul is praying about God's fullness. That is 19b. And then finally, as his outline, he's praying about Lord's glory. That is verse, uh, starting from verse 20 through verse 21. So let us start from uh, verse 16 through verse, verse 14 through verse 16. That is number A, whereby he's talking about Spirit's power. Now, the reason why Paul is praying such like a prayer, it is not just that he's praying out of blues or out of nothing. But his prayer is passed back to chapter 2. Let's go back to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 5. This is the placement of his prayer. Chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, met met us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Now, the placement here. He's saying that Christ makes us spiritually alive. We were dead. 
but through him he has made us alive. Look at verse number 10, chapter 2. He's saying this, For we are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Look at verse 19, same chapter. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Look at verse number 22. In him, you also are being pulled together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, having that in his mind as an apostle, it motivates him to pray for them. That you, Ephesians, you have all of this. And where are you straying? What's wrong with your life? It's like he's, 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 he's praying, but at the same time, he's convicted that these things which he's praying for God, they already possess them. But what is lacking is that they are not showing this element or this, uh, let me say, such like things. They are not seeing them in the daily living. It's like they are forgetting something. So Paul is reminding them that, guys, you have this. What's wrong? We should, as believers, use the power which God has given us for his own glory. Now, God's, God's power in us should help us recognize who God is and what he is doing in our lives. Minus, minus this in our lives, we can never recognize what God is doing in our lives. Now, sometimes I normally say, when we say, we should not be saying we are saved. But it's good also to say, I am saved, because salvation is personal. I don't have any cage to catch your heart to know the level of your salvation. But if you leave out your salvation, then I can actually see and, 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 and complement that maybe you are saved, simply because you are leaving that faith out and I'm seeing it. But I don't have an instrument to charge and actually see your heart to see the level of your salvation. Salvation is personal. And that's why Paul is praying for them. But remember this. You have the Spirit's power working in you. And because you have the Spirit's power working in you, then you need to recognize who God is. And what is he working in your life? So, Paul is just trying to pray this prayer because he knows. He has been to Ephesus. He knows what is going on and what they are going on. So his, his prayer is grounded with the love of God as he prays for them. Because God is our Heavenly Father, we should not come to him in fear, trembling, or being afraid that he will repuff us but as children, we should know that God loves us. So if God loves us, then we should approach our father with boldness and confidence, knowing that he wants his children to come to him. Now, look at verse number 14, chapter 3 of Ephesians. Paul is saying this, For this reason I pour my knees. Now, what does Paul mean when he says, I bow my knees. Yes? That he's subservient to 
Okay. Who else? What what does it mean? I bow my knees. Taking a position of humility, humbling himself. Mm-hmm. What? Okay. Okay. Thank you. As he is saying, I bow my knees, Paul is not teaching us the position or the style of prayer. Because most of the people, now when we are back in Kenya, they have only one position of prayer. That when you want to pray, you should go on your knees. But now I, I, I doubt whether Paul is teaching here that when we call with the word of prayer before God, he's teaching us a style or a position of how we can go before God. Paul here is not teaching us that. Why am I saying so? Because in the Bible, we can see people were praying in different styles. Like when you go to the book of Genesis, 18 verse 22, you can see Abraham praying while standing. He's praying in the sitting for the Sodom and Gomorrah. But he was standing as he was praying. You go back in the first Chronicles chapter 17, verse 16 following, you can see David prayed when sitting. You can also see in the book of Matthew 26, verse 39, when Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane, he fell down on his face. So we have different styles in the position of praying. But the, the, the bottom line is that what is the motive of your heart? Yeah. So despite the fact that I'm, I'm standing, but what is the motive of my heart when I'm going before God? That's everything. Like this mo- every morning, I normally just walk around, and when I'm walking around, I'm praying. So Paul here is not teaching us the position. Paul here is not teaching us the style. But there is something which is making Paul actually to kneel before his creator. Kneeling is an attitude of submission or recognition that we are in a presence of higher rank, dignified and authoritative. When you read in the book of Psalms, chapter number 95, starting from verse 1 to 6, especially verse 6, the psalmist say, Oh, come, let us worship and pour down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Secondly, during the time of intense passion and emotion, people could kneel as they pray. Now, you go back to the book of Esther, Esther, Esther chapter 9, verse 5 through 6. You will see Ezra, when he was praying, during intense passion, he was on his knees. What was going on here? Something which was going on here is that the Israelites were, have gone to intermarry with other tribes, which is against God's commandment. So Ezra, he's seeing this passionately, he's praying and on his knees. We can also see the book of Daniel, chapter 6, verse 10. Daniel was also on his knees, three times facing Jerusalem and praying. What was going on? The king had said that they should worship an idol. And the protest, Daniel was on his knees 
praying. And also, when you read in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 36, you can see Paul also on his knees when he called the Ephesians elders and he was giving them a farewell, saying that I'm going. And because he was going away, he knelt down with them and then he prayed for them. So Paul here is not teaching us the position of prayer. Neither is he teaching us the style of prayer because people prayed differently in the Bible. So Paul knelt because of his reference for God's glory in the midst of his passionate prayer to Ephesians, wanting them to recognize the Spirit's power in their lives. As early on I said, you may know the Bible, you may even interpret the Bible the way it should be, but fail to live by the standard of what you know. So Paul is saying, telling, uh, praying and telling them, it's like you know much, but I don't see. Then there's a problem. I need to pray that God may intervene. <clears throat> Every, uh, so Paul nailed because of his reference for God's glory in the midst of his passionate prayer to Ephesians, wanting them to recognize the Spirit's power in their lives. Every family of believers is a part of the one spiritual family of God, the body of Christ, which is the church. Now, you read verse 14 and 15, you can see verse 14 is saying every family. Now, when we talk of every family, then here I come to realize that he's talking about the church. And if he's talking about the church, he's talking about the church. The church is both local and universal. When we say that the local church is like our church right now, it's a local church. And when we talk about universal church, it's every believer around the globe who has who have confessed Jesus Christ to be his or her personal savior. He is in a universal church. So Paul here is saying every family, whoever is in Africa and has confessed Christ to be his or her personal savior, he's engrossed into a universal church. So Paul is praying for such like people that the fullness of God may indwell them so that they can leave that one out and the world may see and glorify God. And the Paul always, though in war, prayed that his fellow believers might be spiritually protected and strengthened. Although he was facing war everywhere, he was afflicted everywhere he was going with the gospel. But his desire, every time he was praying, that his people may be protected and be strengthened in their spiritual life. Now, you can be a Christian and your, and your spiritual life is very weak. You need prayers. <laughs> you need prayers. And when you read from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment. Look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. Up to 11. And I saw from the day we had. We had not ceased to pray for you. 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience with the joy. You go back even to First Thessalonians, you can see the heart of Paul. Paul likes praying to his people. Paul liked praying to his people. Now, if that is, if that is what Paul did as an apostle, then we as Christians, we are not exempted. We need also to pray. We need also to pray. We need also to pray for people to attain salvation, to get salvation. We need also to pray for spiritual protection. Now, when I, when I talk about spiritual protection, sometimes you, I come from Kenya. In the, in the Kenya, this is very practical. We have people coming from Somali. We call them Al-Shabaab. And these people, they have the background of Muslims. So they are fighting for their faith. Why? Kenyan government went into Somalia and they destroyed their territory. And as a result, they are coming over to Kenya just to look at the Christian, because Kenya is a Christian country. They are coming there actually to fetch those people who confess Christ so that they can kill them. So you go to the coastal region of Kenya, up to the eastern part, you can see this one going on. So most of the people in Kenya, from those sides, they are living under intense fear simply because of these people, Al-Shabaab. And that's why here, as I come to, to, to learn about Paul's prayer, Paul is praying that may God even protect their spiritual being. So it should be also on our, on our side that we need actually to pray for the brethren outside there because we don't know what they are going through. Spiritual protection. And also we should pray about spiritual growth. We need, we need them to grow, to live out Christ. They, we need also to pray to each and everyone. I need you, you need me. And you can only reach me through prayer <laughs> at most. Now, we should always pray. When you read in the book of Luke, chapter 21, verse 36, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. We are instructed to pray. When you read Luke chapter 18, verse 1, following, you can see what happened. It is a result of prayer. So Paul is telling the Ephesians, you need to, these things should stem out of your life. And you go through the Bible, you can see Moses also was interceding to his fellow Israelites. You read from Exodus chapter 32, verse 11 to 32, you can see he was interceding to the Israelites simply because the Israelites have turned against God and worshiping an idol. And God wanted to kill them all. And then Moses is coming in between, interceding these people. 
that God don't do that. He understood because of his people. You read also in Numbers 14, 13 to 19, you can see Moses is having a heart of interceding with his people. But it is easy for us to pray and thank God for, number one, for a new girl, achievements, growth, good things which goes around us, but not think of thanking him for spiritual blessings we have he, we have in him. It is very easy to thank God for the achievements. But it's very hard actually even to think about thanking God for the spiritual achievements you have. Like for example, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, you can see Paul is still laying down things which God has done. Look at number verse number 4, Ephesians Chapter 1, verse number 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Look at another thing which Paul is persistently uh, telling us. Verse number 7 of the same uh, chapter. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions Transpasses according to the riches of his grace. Look at number verse number 9 of the same chapter. Making known to us the ministry of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. Look at verse number 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So Paul is trying to tell, tell them, now you, you may be forgetting, but look what God has done for you. All these things he has done for you. Can you even take a minute, a moment, and thank him? You Ephesians, can you just take a minute and thank him? Because this is what he has done. And not only Ephesians, even we as a people, we tend to forget. But when you look back, you can see that if it were not God, you could not be the place where you are right now. So I challenge you, may you also take a time and thank him for what he has done for your life. For your life, he has saved you. He has called you to a people of his inheritance. So Paul is not praying that Christians should be given these riches, but rather be strengthened in them because they already possess them in Jesus Christ. He's just praying for strengthening. But if in the first place we have already given by Jesus Christ. But Paul here is just trying to, tell, to pray that God may strengthen these things in them. Let them when they wake up, let them when they move, let them, when they, they interact, they may recognize that they have this richness in their lives. Now, we should, in first step, be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. When you, look, you read from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, of which we should read. 
2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. The Bible says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We do not lose heart. But because inside we are being renewed by the Holy Spirit, then we have energy, spiritual energy. And that's what he's praying every time that these people should realize that. Realize that. The inner man is ruined by sin and needs the healing from God himself. Now, here is a problem. Sin cannot be addressed by philosophers. Sin cannot be addressed by psychologists. Sin cannot be addressed by logic reasoning. But sin can be addressed by God and God himself. God is the solution. Not philosophers. I'm going through the book of uh, apologetics and I'm reading a lot. In fact, people are bound with philosophy, they are bound with logic or reasoning apart from the word. In fact, others are going ahead saying that they are reasoning whether this is the true word of God. And guess what? If philosophy is going to move us away, not believing that this is the word of God, then what are we? We are a ruined generation. So, philosophy cannot address our problem. And our problem is only addressed by God and God himself. Because man sinned. Man needs salvation to solve the innermost problem. You read First Peter, chapter 1, verse 3, you can see that. Although by age we grow weaker and weaker, but the inner man, the spirit, grows stronger and stronger through the Holy Spirit of God in us. We are strong every time. And the Paul is reminding them that you need actually to understand this. Now, the obedient, effective, and protective Christian must be spirit-conscious, spirit-filled, and spirit-controlled. Let me repeat. Uh, the obedient, effective, and protective Christian might be spirit conscious, spirit filled, spirit controlled. Now, when you read in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Until we are controlled by the Spirit, then we are doomed because we have worldly desire and heavenly desires. And we can only be strengthened by the inner person so as to embrace him in our everyday life. Spiritual growth can be defined as decreasing frequency of sin. Thus, the, the nearer we come to God, the farther we go from sin. When we decrease doing sin, then we grow in spiritual life. And that's the definition I can just come up with. Spiritual, spiritual growth can be defined as decreasing frequency of sin. Thus, the nearer we come to God, the farther we go from sin. 
if you near God, if you, you go near where God is, God is holy, then every time you need to be careful because every time you need to see to it that you are repenting of your sin because you are approaching a holy God. And that's, that's, that's growth now, spiritual growth. But we cannot address spiritual growth at the same time living in sin. Yeah, I know we struggle. We struggle with sin, but we cannot live in sin at the same time say that we are a spiritually grown. It cannot happen. So, let us see number B. Christian indwelling. Christian indwelling. Oh, time. <laughs> now, let us see number, number, number B. Christ, Christ indwelling. Just, that is a Ephesians chapter 3, 17a. Let's read together. 17a. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ indwelling. Now the question, I want, I want just maybe, let me ask you this question. When when did, we, when, did, when did the Holy Spirit end our lives? And where, when did the Christ end our lives or end our hearts? When? What? When? What? Salvation, yes? Okay. Yeah. Now, when you come to Kenya, it's different. Kenya, they say, you receive Christ today, then wait, they receive the Holy Spirit tomorrow, then wait, and they receive other things as you go. And that is not the Bible. <laughs> I don't think that that's the Bible. I, I normally say that the time we confess Christ to be our Lord and Savior, I, I thank God because I have here my fellow seminary student. Dr. Simic says that you cannot say that Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. He said... You should be saying, Jesus Christ is my Lord and the Savior. He said, uh, Lord, Lordship comes first, and then Saviorhood. But you cannot talk about Saviorhood, and then you have not talked about Lordship. So that is Dr. Simic. And I, I, I agree with him. <laughs> In the first place, before we get saved, then Jesus Christ should be our Lord. And after he has been our Lord, then he becomes our Savior. And, and, and there's, no, there's no day that you can receive Jesus Christ today and then wait to receive the Holy Spirit the other time. No. I normally call it like a spiritual bomb. There are a lot of spiritual things which happen the, way, the, the time you receive Jesus Christ. The time you receive Jesus Christ is like, <laughs> And that's why Paul, uh, Paul is telling the Ephesians that you are lacking nothing. All the spiritual blessings you are given. You, you lack nothing. So, we have everything that God wanted us to, to have as Christians. We have. Uh, and here, if that's the, the case, then, then we may say that at salvation, we are indwelled by Jesus Christ. But the play, here, Paul is not referring to Christ indwelling us at salvation, but sanctification. Because as believers, the time we, 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 
we received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Jesus started indwelling in us. But now he's praying that at sanctification period, you need now to grow in him. That's what he's praying here. Now, when you read the book of Colossians one twenty-seven, the Bible says, to, to them, God chose to make known how great among the genders are the riches of the glory of this ministry, mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ has given us everything we need. We lack nothing. We lack nothing. And that's why the churches are straying because they think they lack something. The church is straying because they are thinking that there are some things hidden from us and that we can only get them from so and so. So when we come to Africa, you can see them now looking at those things to people who can pray for them, lay hands on them, so they can receive one, two, three. And that's, that, that, that's not true as far as the Bible is concerned. Now, Paul here is praying to the Ephesians. Paul is not teaching the presence of Jesus in the hearts of believers, but he is teaching about the quality of his presence in their lives, the quality, <coughs> qualitative being in our lives. That's what he's saying. Jesus enters our hearts, as I've said, the time we confess him as, as, savior, uh, as Lord and Savior. God wants to live in our hearts, but he wants also to be at home in our hearts and a rule in our hearts. And we will come and make our home with him. That is the book of John 14, 23. God wants to indwell us and be at home in our hearts. That's, what, that's why he, he saved us. That's why he saved us. But if we only give him a section of our life, then he will always live there as a tolerant visitor. It's like he's not comfortable. Because what I believe, I believe that once saved, always saved. Once a child, always a child. But you can be a child and you are not following the precepts of your father. And this is what I'm saying, that if you want, to, if you want Christ to dwell richly in your heart, then you need to follow his precepts. Let us see Number C, love upon the strategy, verse 17b to 19a. If we will have time, maybe that one is uh, the last one we want to discuss. 17a, 17, 17b, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, number C is talking about love abundance. As we are strengthened inwardly by the Holy Spirit, then this makes Christ feel at home in, our, in us, leading to love that is incomprehensible. Abundant life, or love which is incomprehensible. When Christ freely indwells us, then we yield to the Spirit's power, 
working in us and submit to his lordship through love. Also, we become rooted and grounded in love that is settled on a strong foundation of Jesus Christ. If you, when you read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, the Bible says, Having purified your soul by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love another, one another earnestly from a pure heart. So, we become rooted and grounded in love that is settled on a strong foundation of Jesus Christ. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit has nine characters. We have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Out of the, those nine characters, I tend to group them in three groups. Group number one is, is love, joy, and peace. That is the, your relationship with God. Your relationship with God. And Paul knew that they have that relationship already because they are saved. And that's why it, it's a fruit. Uh, the, 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 love is the fruit of the Spirit because the first relationship is love, joy, and peace. If you love God, it's very easy to love others. If you have peace with God, it's very easy to have peace with others. If you have, uh, if you have joy with God, it's very easy to be joyous with other people. Category number two it is patience, kindness, and the goodness. That is the relationship with your neighbor. That's your relationship with your neighbor. The question is, how patient are you with your neighbor? How kind are you with your neighbor? And how good are you with your neighbor? Because that is a relationship, your relationship with your neighbor. In the third category, it is faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is your Personal relationship. How gentle are you? If you are a gentle with yourself, you can be gentle with other people. If you are a faithful with yourself, then you can be faithful with other people. If you are a self-control with yourself, then you can control yourself before other people. So that's why Paul is say, uh, telling us that love is a fruit. And uh, you Ephesians, you already have this. Please leave it out so that other people may see. We should deny ourselves and give to others. Christ gave himself for us by dying on the cross. Christ's love has been manifested in us. Now, if Christ's loving nature becomes our nature, we will be willing to serve others by sacrificing the way he also sacrificed for us. If his love becomes our love. Do you know that even if you are love, which the Bible is telling you to, to love your neighbor, comes from God. So if he comes from God, he's just asking you to leave it out. To leave it out. Now, love, therefore, is the presence of no, love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. When you read from the book of Romans 13, 8 following, 
Now, the, pre- the absence of love is the presence of sin because it is all what is in us, not out of us. If we don't love, then <laughs> there is sin. Paul is not addressing outward appearance, but Paul is addressing how we are inwardly. So, I think my time is over. <laughs> my time is over. I don't know whether you have a question or maybe... Or, or David may, goes to 10.15 all the time. What? David goes to 10.15 all the time. You're good. Yeah, please keep going. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Now, now give, me, give me 10 minutes. Now, if, if, if I'm in, in Kenya, uh, we, cannot, we cannot even talk about that. In Kenya, I can even go for, from this time up to sunset. <laughs> When I went to Kenya last month, when they, they asked me to preach, I preached one and a half hours. <laughs> and they were telling me, can you continue? For 30 minutes, again, two hours. They say, no, I'm done. <laughs> so uh, I'm very, when I'm here, I'm very sensitive, sensitive to time. So give me 10 minutes. Now, we only comprehend the fullness of love in our lives if we are totally immersed in love as our root and the crown of our being. We can only understand or comprehend the fullness of love if we are immersed in love and we are rooted in it as our crown of being. Otherwise, we cannot do that. We cannot even think about it. God has given us love and he directs our hearts into his love. He has given us love. He directs that love to his own glory. And then when we read in the uh, second Corinthians, uh, Thessalonians 3, 5, the Bible reads, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. May he direct, because it is his love, he needs to direct it to us, through us. Those people he wants. And sometimes he can direct your love to somebody who cannot be loved, a stubborn person. But because God has, has directed your love that way, do that. I normally tell people back in Kenya that if God wants to teach you how to love, he gives you a, stub, a very stubborn neighbor. <laughs> because he's teaching you how to love. Those he give you a very stubborn neighbor. So that you can grow in that. So he's directing our love because he has given us that love. The world cannot comprehend the great love that Christ gives because they don't understand him. The world cannot understand because they don't know him. But we know him. Then we understand the love, the, the kind of love which we need actually to know. But God promised his people everywhere in the Bible. He has promised them love, has promised them joy, peace, power, comfort, without measure to those who belong to him. When you read the book of uh, Gospel of John, chapter 14 through chapter 16, you can see what God is actually trying to, to promise his people. And he has done it. And his love does not have boundaries. 
Islam does not have boundaries. Let us see. Number D, God's fullness. That is God's fullness, that is verse number 19b. I don't want, I, I cannot read it. Let me just explain something and then we go. As our inner man is strengthened by the spirit, Christ comes and indwells us and this leads to abundant love and of course fullness in us. Always, God wants to make us as himself by filling us with himself with all that he is and he wants us to do. He fills us with himself. Now, God, or, or, or the time we were saved, it does not mean that Christ came in us halfway. No, he came in us in full. So God wants to fill himself with us. And if he wants to fill himself with us, then his character becomes our character. His way becomes our ways. His love becomes our love. He wants us just to apply what is in us. And we cannot do that until we see to it that these powers are in us. And we, com- uh, we commit to them. We should always think. We should always think of God's power. Majesty, wisdom, love, mercy, patience, kindness, and long-suffering, and every other things that God is and does, which equals to his glory in our lives. Which God is and he does. That is the glory in us. So when God looks from heaven, looks at us, he sees his people who are actually manifesting his love on this world, fallen world. He sees us. Paul continually mentions blessing to us. He's also telling us that not only those blessings are enumerated up there, but also realize this, that the church as the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He is God. He has done this to you. He has also called the church. That's the body. As believers. He's also, uh, when you want to read, you can read Ephesians 1.23. He descended and ascended far above all heavens that he might feel all things. That is Ephesians 4.10. Why is he feeling all things? He's feeling all things for his own glory. Because that is, that is his desire. And that's what made him to come down here. So he's doing that for his own sake. And again, Paul is telling them, not only that, he wants every believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants every believer. Now, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you are not a Christian. You are not saved. <laughs> you don't know him. Because I cannot have Christ at the same time miss the Holy Spirit. As the philosophers are saying, you, 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 that somebody can just get saved without even the scripture. Uh, and that's not true. Paul is saying, how can they hear if they have not heard from somebody? So hearing what? Hearing the gospel. So you cannot separate the Holy Spirit with the word of God. And you cannot separate. And what's the word of God? The word of God is Jesus Christ himself. In the beginning was the word. 
And the word was with God. When you come down to verse 14, the word was made flesh. And who is that? That's Jesus Christ. So you cannot separate the Holy Spirit with the, the word. And you cannot uh, receive the word and then the, you have not received the Holy Spirit. Ridiculous. It cannot work. Whoever is filled with, with, with wreck is totally dominated by hatred. And a person filled with happiness is totally dominated by joy. To be filled with God is to be emptied of self and surrender to him. We can only sing like King David if God has filled us. King David, when you read in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 22, verse 2 following, David is singing because God has delivered his enemies, him from his enemies. So he's singing. He's saying God is great. Even Job, he's also exalting God because of what he has done to him. So finally, because of time, number E, the Lord's glory. The Lord's glory, I want us to read only verse 20, and then we will be done. Verse 20. Uh, verse 20 reads, Now to him who is able to do, for, to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within you. So here I, I want also to say, when the Holy Spirit empowers us, Christ indwelling us, love mastering us, and God filling us with his fullness, then there is much to be done through us. And what am I trying to, to read that verse? I'm trying just to read that verse because but few can enjoy that privilege because many of us have failed to follow the pattern of enablement presented to us in verse 20. We can read verse 20 that he's able to do abundantly, but we miss it because we don't want him to enable us to live the way he wants us to live. That's why we missed it. Oh, I wish we had time. That's all. Maybe I have this class. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. May God bless you so much. <laughs>